How many of you guys would consider yourselves watchful? Watchful, as in, you know, you have a good eye for good deals, good ideas for yourself, good opportunities. It can be really useful to have a good eye and, and be watchful for these things. And I know that some of you guys are like this, and I am as well. We are watchful on good deals, watchful for Yelp check-in deals, coupons for groceries, deals on the latest clothing drop, new cell phone plans if you're trying to save money, good deals on cars, or even the latest condo or house that just hit the market. We are watchful not only for good deals, but also for how we can entertain ourselves. I mean, just think about your own social media outlets. You know, I know that some people, some leadership gurus are encouraging others to follow the right people, follow the right company so that we can listen to them. Maybe we seek to gain wisdom through these people and knowledge. Maybe we're mindful about all the different stuff, all the different people that we're putting in front of our faces as they speak to us. We're watchful also in terms of our favorite shows, thinking about entertainment. Mel and I were thinking about what kind of musicals might be coming back after now COVID restrictions uh, are lifted more and more. And so we are watchful and then we make an effort, right, to seize the opportunity so that we can benefit ourselves. We're watchful for career opportunities, right? How you, how you guys can be excelling at your job, how to make money in your side hustles, how to climb the corporate ladder at your company, right? We don't sleep on these things. We're attentive. We're watchful. And we do what we can, sometimes at all costs, to strengthen our chances, chances to seize these different opportunities. So we set our alarms, so we wake up early to get our place in line. Maybe we have our friends text us reminders or we sign up for subscription lists and email reminders to secure our position. Well, with all that watchfulness concerning the things of the world, it begs the question for Christians, how are you at being watchful regarding your own growth in Jesus? How alert are you at your growth, opportunities for growth in Jesus Christ? Friends, this is exactly what our passage today helps us ask so that we as Christians could check to see if we are really living for Christ as we claim Christianity. Our passage this morning is Revelation chapter 3. We are in verses 1 to 6. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And uh, I'll repeat the, the big idea here. Our passage today helps us ask the question of whether or not we are watchful concerning the things of Jesus so that, here's like the main idea, so that we can check ourselves to see if we are living for Christ as we claim Christianity to check and see if we are living for Christ in our Christianity. Of course, we are obviously back in the book of Revelation, and we continue to look at Christ's letters to the seven different churches, which really represent all Christians. He's writing to seven different churches in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, and they represent all of the Christians in that time as well as all of the Christians throughout all time. And here we get a read of Christ's encouragement, his call, his rebuke, to his people as they await the end, Jesus' return and the consummation 
of his kingdom. The letters to the churches and, of course, the entire book of Revelation are hugely important as Jesus addresses suffering Christians, struggling Christians, and he calls them to persevere in him and his truth. The book was written by John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. It was written in the mid-90s A.D., and it was circulated to all the Christians. Again, as they were, these seven churches are representative of all Christians. The church that we look at and learn from today, well, they certainly were struggling. They had earned a name. They had earned a reputation of being alive, but sadly they were dead. And Jesus confronts them and encourages them along. Go ahead and look there at Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'll read that now. And to the angel... Of course, we don't know. This could be a leader of the church. It could be a spiritual counterpart. To the angel of the church in Sardis, think modern-day Turkey, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Point number one, their reputation. Point number one, their reputation. You see that they are, had a reputation for being alive, but really they were dead. We all have reputations as Christians, right? People are forming opinions of us based on what we talk about, what you post on your Instagram stories, how you act in front of them, and then even how you explain yourself as you live your life as a Christian. And so we learn, we earn, whether rightly or wrongly, right? You, Christian, earn a name, a reputation for yourself. These Christians of the city of Sardis, they had a reputation for, once again, being alive in the faith there in verse 1. On the outside, they were alive. And now, uh, this could mean that maybe in the past they were more fervent in their faith and their love for Jesus, like the church in Ephesus. They had a great love exercise towards God and one another, but somehow it had petered out. That seems maybe to be what's going on here. So they were alive in the faith. But, you know, thinking back to their reputation and how we can earn our own reputation, behind the public posts and the stories, when no one was watching... They were dead. We're not really given the details as to what happened, but the situation, think about the situation of the other churches that we've already looked at thus far. It's not difficult to piece some things together. Once again, perhaps like the church of Ephesus, these Christians started out strong with a great vigor for the Lord, but they somehow lost vitality, losing the love that they had at first. And these Christians' situation was, you know, similar to other churches there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They were battling a good amount of pressure, external pressure and temptation, to blend in with the pagan society around them. And in so doing, they compromised their walk with Jesus. 
I'm sure if you review your own Christian life, you recognize that you too have done some of this. Maybe this is your story. You become a Christian, right? You're all on board. You receive the word with joy. And both feet, it seems, are facing the same direction on, let's just describe it as, the escalator of the Christian faith. But then when difficulties come because of your faith, or when the cares of this world start to crowd out your love for Jesus, and those cares of the world start calling your name, those cares that you so loved once before, you begin to start putting your foot on the escalator that's going in the opposite direction. Maybe you can hop along for a little bit, but eventually when that one foot rests firmly in the world, naturally the world is going to pull you in that direction. That's probably what's going on with these Sardinian Christian. Verse 4, if you look there, it implies that a good number of those in the church figuratively soiled their garments. They dirtied or defiled their garments. It's a vivid picture here. They had spiritual stains from being one with the world. Of course, in verse 4, Jesus says specifically that a few did not do this, a few did not, and so he praises them, he encourages them, but most showed evidence that they were committing regularly this spiritual adultery, spiritual idolatry of being one with the world. They are worldly. And so their works were not complete, there in verse 2, in the viewpoint of God. Maybe while they paid lip service to Jesus, on Sundays, and they gathered with him on Sundays. They didn't care about truly living for him and exalting him in every aspect of their lives. This too today is like the Christian who is a Sunday Christian, supposedly, but yet there's no real spiritual life on Monday through Saturday. And so they are hypocrites. When measured to God's standards, both in quantity and quality, Right, the purity of their works, their works and the heart behind it were severely lacking. Right, that's what it's, that's what it's here uh, implied. And so they are under indictment. This doesn't really seem to be like your average struggle with worldliness that the true Christian has. Right, we all struggle with worldliness to some degree, but here like, it's gotten to a point so bad where they are under indictment, and Jesus comes along and says, "This is your true reputation." So this is here is an unusual struggle. They are marked by this ungodliness and worldliness. This is the pattern of their lives. If we know ourselves well enough, we know that while we are in the world, right, you guys know, we're still tempted by the world, still tempted to be of the world and so be worldly. Maybe at one time you were on fire for Christ, like a raging fire. You had a strong longing for Him, so you wanted to know Him more according to His Word. You wanted to live for Him, witnessing to Him, to your friends, to other people to random strangers, but for whatever reason, your love that was once on fire has died down to a little flicker. As we thought about in last week's sermon from Alex Hong, maybe we have been distracted from God and godliness and our senses for Him, right? Our affections and our taste for Him, they've dulled. Remember how Alex helped us examine what distracts and dulls our senses for Christ. Do you guys remember that? What was your answer? What was it for you dulls your affections for Christ and lulls you to sleep? Or, you know what, would you rather just not think about it? Have you thought about it at all since last week? 
Maybe you heard the word, but you didn't do anything about it. If you didn't think about it since then and take steps to change, right? whether real action steps or maybe just thinking, setting down in a calendar for when you can talk to your roommates or your loved ones about how you can change, even that's action. Or even just having another thought about it. If you haven't done any of those things, then you know how easy it is to be a hearer of the Word and not a doer of the Word. We know how easy it is. Maybe you know how easy it is to be simply a Sunday Christian if there ever was such a thing. Great for Sunday morning, right? That advice is really good for Sunday morning, but not so great for the rest of the week. Friends, you realize that if you haven't thought about it at all, that might be, I'm not saying it is, that might be evidence that your spiritual life for Christ is at a flicker. Maybe. Maybe because you think the world is where the fire is at, right? You who listen to the world, maybe, where you are tempted to find your belonging in the world or your identity to be of the world. Friends, this is, again, what these Christians were likely struggling with, not in the way normal Christians would once again, but in a more serious manner. They were making, once again, a pattern of it. Given they were soiling their garments and committing spiritual adultery, they wanted to, it seems, they wanted the world to love them as one of their own. They wanted the world to love them as one of their own. But of course we know that Jesus said you can't serve two masters. If you strive to please man, the Christian will abandon Christ. If you try and make a home in this world, your home will not be with Jesus. If you strive to win the praise of man, which we know is what they were struggling with, you had the pressures from outside, they wanted to blend in, they wanted economic security, they wanted to climb up the social ladder. If you strive to win the praise of man, you forsake living with Christ. You cannot cultivate a love for Christ and all that he loves when you are enraptured with the world. And so, one is either of Christ or of the sinful world. These Sardinian Christians, they were so worldly that it was hard to determine if they had any life for Christ at all. Thus, Jesus says that they are dead. He also says that they are near dead. It's an interesting paradox here. And, and then in an effort to help them, Jesus brings them to the fork in the road, right? As we mentioned in the past, Jesus kind of leads people up to this fork in the road, and he calls them to make a choice. To make a choice. This brings us to point number two. Point number two, choose life. Point number two, choose life. Obviously, Jesus wants them to choose life and not death. This is what he says there in verse two. He commands them to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. It should be noted here, right? If you're feeling the sting of conviction because you recognize, yeah, I struggle with worldliness. Maybe you almost feel like you're being engulfed by it, and yet you genuinely want to fight against it. It should be noted here, thank God that revitalization is possible. The very fact that he says, you are dead and things are about to die, in verse 2, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. <laughs> I find that really encouraging. Revitalization, no matter how bad of a sinner you might think you are, is possible. Praise the Lord. Look again at verse 2. As we study the Bible here, you want to study it for yourself. There are five commands 
five commands. Just go ahead and look there. You determine what they are, underline them. Here are the five imperatives. You have wake up or be watchful. Number two, strengthen what remains. Number three, remember Christ and the truth that you received. Number four, keep it. And number five, repent. The first two commands, I think, would have landed in a unique way to these Christians in Sardis. Two times in Sardis' history. You know, back then, if you're in... Uh, these ancient civilizations, these cities would fall to different kingdoms, you know, over and over and over again. It was just normal. Um, but two different times in Sardis' history, Sardis fell to outside forces in a unique way, in a unique way, two different times. It had been overtaken a number of times, but two unique times, something happened. And Sardis, keep in mind, was a city known for its military might and strength. And the city fell not because of any sort of massive frontal assault or anything like that. Again, Sardis itself was a strong fortress. And the enemies knew that. And so you know what their enemies did? In both of these instances, under two different kingdoms, the opposing army sent in one soldier on a mission to scale the walls of, once again, a fortress to determine, find out, discover the weak spot, and then the soldier would go on to infiltrate the supposedly impenetrable Acropolis and then open up the gates for battle. Sardis fell because its people failed to be watchful. And they didn't learn. They should have strengthened what remained. So you get this idea of be watchful. Strengthen what remains. That lands on them in a unique way. This wakefulness or watchfulness is really important to Jesus and his people. Luke 13, 35 says, Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. You guys can think back to Jesus in the garden when he goes away to pray and he calls the disciples to be on watch with him. And what happens? They fall asleep in his greatest hour of need. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That awakened state is tied to the soberness of thinking. Spiritual wakefulness, where we are alert to the things of Christ, to those things that we have received, those things that we are to remember. That's the third and fourth imperative, the command. And the things that we are to keep these, this is what we are to pay attention to. We're talking about the truths of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then living according to the word while we await his return. So friend, if you, find, if you look at your own life and you find yourself struggling, you find that your once maybe raging flame for Christ is dying down to its last ember, here's your solution. Jesus says, wake up, be watchful, strengthen what remains. Thinking back to the introduction of the sermon this morning, we know once again how to be watchful, don't we? We're watchful making sure we entertain ourselves. We're watchful in getting the good deals, the latest clothing drop. We are watchful in our career opportunities. And then we strengthen our position to make sure we get what we want. But what about when it comes to the things of God? While we are watchful towards securing the world, Maybe you find yourself sleeping on the things of God. Christian, how's your watchfulness for opportunities to grow in knowing Jesus Christ and who your Savior is and how He has acted towards you in grace and love?
How's your watchfulness in growing in Christ's likeness, seizing the opportunities to grow in His character by the Spirit of God? What about being watchful for opportunities to stand for Christ? And so exercise those muscles of what it looks like to be a faithful soldier for Christ so that the world would know who He is and see that there is a better way. I think maybe what might be a reflection of your heart and your alertness and watchfulness, maybe, it could be, how eager you are to come to Sunday morning to hear the Word preached. You would figure that that would actually show in the way you wake up on Sunday mornings. Maybe even the way, especially in the way in which you go to bed on Saturday nights. You know, are you making time or are you hanging out, hanging out with the friends till the early morning hours, just assuming that you're going to wake up okay? Isn't that interesting how many of us perhaps, perhaps, make more effort to be alert at work? We make more effort to be alert at work than to be alert at church to worship the Lord. And then think about this other category. Just now, you know, we're talking about growing in Christ, growing in Christ-likeness, representing Christ. But then also think about how you are watchful watching your back. Are you watchful for how sin and Satan try and trip you up personally? Right? Attacking you and your weaknesses and in your particular sins. Are you watchful for how sin and Satan try and trip you up and drag you down with that one particular lure in that one particular area? You guys got to remember, it doesn't take an army of evil spirits attacking you from the outside in an all-out frontal assault. It only takes one carnal desire in your heart. Because having having, having given into it once, stepping onto the path of carnal desire and living in carnal desire gets all the easier, doesn't it? Well, God knows this, which is why Christ calls us to wake up be watchful and strengthen what remains. Right? He calls us to do something about it so that we continue living for Christ in our Christianity. And since we can all grow in our own watchfulness in light of our own sin that lures us away, let's take some time to think practically about how we can be watchful and also strengthen what remains. Let me encourage you first to identify your weak spots. Identify your weak spots. Of course, here we're talking to Christians. Identify your weak spots. When it comes to sin and temptation, recognize where sin lures you away from Christ. Right? So just look at where you sin and where your strongest temptations are. And you're going to see how sin wants to lure you away. I was talking to a brother recently, and he's been wrestling with bitterness towards God. In the course of conversation, it, it didn't, over the years, it didn't come out immediately that this is what he was wrestling with. Or he couldn't necessarily verbalize it immediately. But I was super encouraged that over the course of conversation, he was able to identify his thoughts and identify his feelings towards God as bitterness towards God. He was angry towards God. And so, once you identify your weak spots, let's say for this brother, it's bitterness to to God. Well, then take that feelings and those thoughts in the raw and then evaluate them according to the Word of God so that God's Word would speak to those things. In that process, you get to evaluate those thoughts and feelings according to the Word and where you are wrong, in the wrong, and then just go on and confess your sin to God and others you trust. Right? In doing so, you see that as you're acknowledging your own sin, 
and then bringing other people, confessing your sin to others so that they might help you, you're bringing your own darkness into the light. That's really good, right? Because these Christians, they were alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. And so what we want to do is identify the struggle and then bring our own deadness outside so that others would help us. So that's number one, identify your weak spots. And underneath that, it's confess them, judge them according to the word, and just trust the Lord that He is right. And then moving forward, be mindful to watch your back. Be mindful to watch your back. If you know that you're struggling in a particular way, right? Let's continue on with bitterness towards God. We have to be aware and be mindful of how sin and Satan will prey on your weakness. We have to be mindful of how sin and Satan will prey on such weakness and sin. You think about bitterness, for example. Satan and sin, they desire to sow seeds of distrust and bitterness. That was Satan's tactic in the garden, wasn't it? Lies about God. Accusations against God, at least to Adam and Eve. In the hopes that soon enough, God's created people would buy into them and start repeating the lies to themselves and to one another. Friends, are you knowledgeable about your opponent and how he operates? Do you consider that your battle as a Christian is nothing less than spiritual warfare? Or do you think that the Christian life is living in the tropics with a Mai Tai in your hand? Once you are mindful of watching your back, then you can strengthen your own position. Third, you can strengthen your own position. So if you know that sin and Satan spread lies about God, you know, saying that God is miserly, He's given you everything, but this one thing he has, He's kept from you, and so therefore, He's not worthy to be trusted. He's miserly. He's mean. He doesn't love you. Well, you know that if you're telling yourself those things, friends, answer those lies, rebut those lies with the truths about God and His Word. God in the beginning created all man. This is the gospel here. God in the beginning created man to be in a relationship with Him, a good and perfect loving relationship. There's God's goodness. He sets us in the Garden of Eden, having created everything and given everything to man that we would enjoy, except this one thing. And, but we were not happy with that, and so we rebelled against God in our greed and desire for autonomy. I really desire to be God for ourselves we rebelled against God and sinned against Him, and we earned for ourselves just judgment as we committed treason against the one and only King. If God were not loving, if He were unkind, if He were mean, then He wouldn't pursue us. He would just leave us on our own and judge us immediately. But what does God do? God pursues us in Christ out of His steadfast love and mercy, out of His compassion and mercy that comes along to help those who are in need. He acts as is seen throughout the generations. He is gracious, taking rebels to Himself and pursuing them as His beloved. And those He enters into covenant with, He never lets go. And of course, the climax of His steadfast love comes in Christ, the Son of God come in the flesh. God the Son entered into our experience to save sinners. And through living the righteous life that we as sinners should have as the demands of the law were upon us, and then by dying the death that we deserved, bearing the wrath that we deserved, He serves as our substitute. When's the last time you served as a substitute to the death for somebody? And so He dies on the cross so His people could have new life with Him, forgiveness of sin through Him, and reconciliation with God through Him. 
three days later he gets up from the grave showing that payment is no longer required for those who repent of their sin and believe as they will have eternal life. And the promise to all who turn from their sin and turn to him is that they will be saved, forgiven of their sin, made right with God, adopted into his family, not by works, but by grace through faith alone in Christ. Other examples of his goodness, we receive a new heart. We have growing affections for him, growing affections for his righteousness. And he promises that you, Christian, though you may struggle, he is guarding you for that day when salvation will be, will be revealed and all of his people see him face to face. All this he does in his steadfast love. And all of that combats one's bitterness and anger towards God. This is the gospel that we hear every single Sunday, the gospel that we preach every single Sunday. If you're visiting with us and you want to know more about what this gospel is, let me encourage you to talk to the friend that brought you. This good news, in fact, can be yours. Reconciliation with God and forgiveness of your sin through Jesus. If you turn from your sin and believe on Him, that is the good news, the evidence of God's steadfast love to sinners. And so God calls you, even right here, right now, to be reconciled to your Maker and live as you were designed to live under God with Him in a loving relationship. So Christian, this is how we battle the lies of Satan and sin with God's truth. There are lies that God is stingy with all He's given you. Well, then we remember these truths. That's what He says there. Remember the truths that we have received, the Gospel, the Word, and then we keep them. For you, Christian, where's the gap that Satan seeks to exploit? Maybe it isn't bitterness of God. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe displayed in your own lust. Maybe it's carnality. Maybe it's lack of discipline. Or maybe it's anger. Maybe you feel like you are the real Lord of the universe and others are ants to be smashed if they get in your way. Of course, in connection with that is violence. If you are violent, well, you think you are the Lord. Cussing at others, even in your own head. Pride. On the flip side of this, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you're anxious because you know you ain't God. And really, at the end of the day, you can't do anything to secure your own safety or your children's safety, and so you spin out of control with your anxiety. Or maybe it's the fear of man. Maybe you know that you are tempted to shut up about Jesus so you can go on and hear the praise of the world. Maybe you aren't so gentle, but instead you're harsh. And you could grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Whatever it is, Christian, don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word also. Be assertive in your battle of spiritual warfare in preparing yourself for the attack. Are you alert like this, Christian? Are you awake like this, Christian? Let me encourage you to go to God and His Word in your own struggle. Find, here's some more practical advice, find specific verses on the things you're wrestling with and study them. Find specific verses on the things you're wrestling with and study them. In the back of your Bibles, you're probably going to have an index of Scripture. So if you look up something, let's say, by anger, you're going to find some uh, useful verses for you on anger and what you ought to do with anger. Do you, do you study like that? Are you studying more like that because you're more alert than you were last year? Find specific verses on things you're wrestling with and study them. Memorize them. Hide them in your heart that you would not sin against God and meditate on them. 
You can find Christian literature on these subjects and learn from other Christians in their writings. And then, let me encourage you to enlist your fellow Christians to help you. In the process, you will learn to think as God thinks about you, about your sin and your situation. And then you can be watchful. Strengthen what remains. Or you will be caught sleeping. I trust that many of us here realize that we do need to be more watchful and more alert for Jesus. But maybe you know yourself to be simply, you simply just want to keep on sleeping. If that's you, it is imperative for you to heed God's word from 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So friend, if you find yourself lacking in desire for Jesus, pray that God would search your heart. Pray according to Psalm 139 that, that, you, would, that you would ask God to search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. Examine yourself and see where you are partnered with the world, trusting in the world, and not Jesus Christ. Pray that He would help you see Him for who He is, a loving Savior, your good Lord and righteous judge. We pray that He would help you repent, that is, turn from your sin before it is too late. Don't forget, spiritual revival is possible for those of you who might feel like you are dead, dying. That which is almost dead can be revived by the power of the Spirit. And that, in many ways, is the point of verse number one. Look there again. It is He who holds the seven spirits. It's a reference to the Spirit in general. The sovereign Spirit, the Spirit who changes us. So friends, if you find yourself wrestling with particularly low desire, please reach out to somebody you trust in the congregation. That's what they are there for. And bring that darkness, your own darkness, into light so that they can help you, so that they can help you tend to those things with the grace of God. But I pray that you would not refuse the call of God. Look there in verse 3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come against you. It'll be like the time of Noah, if you remember that in Genesis. Those around him while he was preparing were eating and drinking, giving themselves to a good time. But the flood came. In this case, judgment will be carried out by Jesus himself, whether at the final judgment or in this present lifetime. Christ calls you backslidden Christian, to turn from your sins, knowing that with the world there is no lasting reward. But look at what Jesus says. He says, with me there is eternal reward. This brings us to our final point, point number three. Point number three, Jesus' reward. You see there in verses four and five, you see what the reward is there for the faithful? For those who persevere, they're called, the perseverers are called these conquerors and overcomings, overcomers. The reward is to be with Christ in victory, he says. To be with Him forever. It's super applicable for these Christians who are facing great pressure, again, from the outside, temptation to conform to the kingdom of man, and so soil their garments. It would appear that partnering with Rome and the culture around them would lead to security and success, economic prosperity, right? If the world names them as one of their own, then they could have more comfort in the kingdom of man. But Jesus reminds them of victory in Christ and their eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. Notice there the conqueror walks with Christ. We're with Him. 
walking with him, a life with him, and they are clothed in white garments. This reference to these white garments, I think, is a double meaning compared to the soiled garments. These overcomers are given garments symbolizing purity and holiness in Jesus Christ. But not only that, there were white robes worn by Roman citizens at a victory celebration. Imagine then walking with the Lord, crucified, raised from the dead in defeat of sin, death, and Satan. Picture ushering Him, like you, Christian, having the opportunity to usher Him to His throne in a triumphal entry, proclaiming victory is the Lord's, and you experiencing victory in Him. To the one who conquers in Christ, the promise is that your name, Christian, will be permanently emblazoned in Christ's book of life and that He will never blot out your name from His book. I get that we might be tempted to earn the world's approval and praise, but isn't there an approval and praise that is so much more valuable? The approval and praise worth living for? that of Christ Jesus the King. And at the end, when Christ the King assumes the throne and opens His book of life, containing all of the names of those foreknown before the foundation of the world, His elect, you know what you, Christian, if you overcome in the Spirit, trusting in Christ, you know what you get to hear? At that great roll call, if we can imagine, at the great roll call before the Father in Heaven and all of His heavenly assembly, Christ Jesus says, Yes. He is one of ours. She is one of ours. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We get to hear the Lord of the universe, the one who gave his life up to the death. We get to hear him declare to his people that we are with him. Compare that to the praise of the world. The world does not provide any lasting security, and even in their praise, it might be here one moment, but then gone the next. Do you remember what they said to Jesus in His triumphal entry to the cross? One moment it was, Hosanna in the highest, but in the next it was, crucify Him. Christians, Christ is your good Savior who promises you that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And He makes a much better deliverer than the world that perishes, praise God. And even now He has the power to revive the lowly if you would repent of your sin and turn to Him. Christian, again, if you find yourself struggling with worldliness, maybe you feel like you're being engulfed by such worldliness, let me encourage you to reach out to your Christian friends. That's what we're here for. Reach out to the pastors so that maybe we can pair you up with somebody to help you battle in your struggle against sin and worldliness. This is one way that we can help you be watchful, to be mindful and to strengthen what remains. And so that in your Christianity that you claim, you are genuinely living for Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that Lord Jesus, you overcame the world because we know that if it were left up to us, we could not do it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who resists sin and Satan perfectly. And now your very own spirit dwells within us. Help us, Lord, in this world while we wait for to meet you in heaven in perfection, in full glory. 
Help us continue to walk steadfastly, knowing that in this world we will still wrestle and battle with sin and we will still fall. We pray, God, that we would be entirely dependent on Jesus to, de- to deliver us. We pray, God, that we would be wholly dependent upon Jesus to be watchful even, as you were watchful in the garden. We pray, Lord, that in your strength we would fight the Christian fight. We pray, God, that you would help us remember what you have given us, that is the gospel and all of your truth, that we would keep it and that we would continue to repent. Lord, we pray that this marvelous promise that we will be with you in eternity would compel us to battle with all of our might as we face this spiritual warfare. We pray, God, that you would help us turn to you in all situations. Help us examine our own lives, even right here and right now, so that we would live a life that honors you. In your name we pray. Amen.